Scrooge may not be the most iconic 80s Christmas movie, but it is the most 80s Christmas movie. And the funniest version of A Christmas Carol ever made. This is 80s Movie Guide. A guide to what's wrong with your parents. I'm Riley Roberts. And I'm Tara McNamara. Scrooge is about a nasty TV network executive who's staging a live all-star TV production of A Christmas Carol on Christmas Eve. And at the same time, he lives the story of A Christmas Carol in his own life, being visited by his old mentor and three ghosts. He's also just very douchey and aggressive throughout the entire thing, and it's it's yeah. I think that's interesting because you know at the, I was looking back at old movie reviews, and the word that people kept coming back to was mean, mean spirited, mean, and I feel like it plays less mean now than it did then. I don't I don't know I don't know that we were a kinder, gentler nation in the eighties, but. Um, I feel like a lot of it, we look at it now and think, well, he's being Scrooge. I mean, Scrooge, he's being a modern-day Scrooge. And we all know people like that. Yeah, but he was super aggressive. Like, his um, his ex-girlfriend, he was kind of, like, throwing her around and saying with his assistant or whatever. Yeah, when when at, at, the, at the live production, when she brings her son and he sees him peeking around. And, yeah. and the funny thing is, and this is part of Bill Murray's acting, I couldn't tell if he was being, if he was... He as Frank Cross was supposed to be sarcastic with the kid, yeah. or if he was being really aggressive. Like I couldn't tell because Bill Murray's always has that bit of a wink to his acting where he's kind of over the top and being, you know, I'm being harsh on you, and you can't really tell what's what. So I asked my husband, your stepfather, who is in TV in Hollywood, and asked him how close that was to what it's like now. And he said that it's not too far away, but the difference is that actually in the last few years with the Me Too movement and, and more like sort of progressive behaviors curbing this kind of abuse that it, it, it has lessened. But that type of, uh, you know, you're fired, lording over people, yelling at them, berating them, kind of being kind of an abusive boss is not far from the truth and probably in the late 80s was pretty accurate. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about the film too, I mean, one of the things that feels mean-spirited to me is the way they treat the TV sensor, right? The TV sensor comes in and then she keeps like a barrel hits her, yeah. you know, she gets knocked with things and she's all bruised at, at the end and she really is the, the punching bag of the well, film. Well, then she uh, sexually harasses one of the coworkers. Right, right, yeah. Um is which you know because men wrote it, but um, <laughs> but but I think that part of the idea is that the you know Bill Murray and the two writers he had that he worked with on the film were from SNL, so they definitely dealt with TV censors, and I'm sure that TV censors were you know a hard part of their life. So I feel like that's more fantasy fulfillment, you know, <laughs> nothing that is going to likely play out in any real way in real life. Um, but, you know, when we talk about the 80s-ness of the movie, there's so much that's so 80s. I mean, I love, like, there's everything. There's the Tab and Stoli, which I'm so curious. Why the Tab and Stoli? Why is it that we see Frank drinking the same kind of bizarre concoction all the time? Tab is so 80s. But I just thought it was such an odd combination. And, you know, what's the origin story of that? But, you know, there's so much that's 80s from, like, there's a light 
kind of sexual connotation with the one female TV executive, right? At one point, she sort of massaged, like, I don't know, there's something that's very flirtatious and sort of implying that maybe they might do something, and she seems kind of interested in it. Oh, that's what that was. But I think maybe the most 80s thing is the the TV lineup that's presented to him from the programming executives. The fact that the night the reindeer died, this action-packed, violent... Um, when the psychos take over Santa's workshop, you know, that, that, you know, of course in 1988, we are dealing with all of the predator, you know, all of the Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone testosterone movies where they just had big shoot 'em up, uh, epics, you know? <laughs> and, and so I thought it was really funny that that is what they picked out because that, that, that was true. It's starring Lee Majors, who was the $6 million man. And then he went into a show called the fall guy that everyone loved. So beloved 80s um, actor, and then the other people who are playing themselves, like Buddy Hackett and Jamie Farr and John Houseman, and it just, you know, there was just a lot of 80s touches in it. Um, but what do you think about the part, I mean, what do you see in there that, that, that doesn't hold up today? Well, definitely in the ending when, um, what's his name, Elliot? Uh-huh, Elliot Loudermilk. Yeah, he comes in with a gun and just starts shooting, like, everywhere. Like, nobody realized that. Yeah. First of all. Second of all, um, how was the Bill, Mer- uh, Bill Murray's character, like, so cool with it? You know what I mean? Like, at the end. Yeah, he's like, hey, you can come back on. We're gonna team up. We're gonna... Yeah, like... Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, yeah, you could think there's a, a level of empathy and that he understands that he's put Elliot in this position, that Elliot, uh, you know, that he shouldn't have fired him on Christmas Eve. But, you know, he's been scared to death. He just saw himself as a dead man. Right. And he's trying to redeem his life. But I agree. I, that part where Elliot comes and shoots up the office trying to kill Frank and then holds a gun in the faces of his coworkers. Yeah. Uh, who had nothing to do with his firing, but, you know, now he's teamed up with Frank, is fascinating to me because I don't... I mean, right now, obviously, with all of the shootings that we dodge on a daily basis and hope doesn't happen at our school or workplace or shopping mall, um, it feels really uncomfortable to watch that scene. But I, I don't know that in the late 80s it was any less uncomfortable. I don't think shootings happened as frequently as they do now. It, they did not. But we had them. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a term called going postal that started from a post office shooting in 1986. And there were a bunch of other post office shootings and other giant um, massacres that happened similarly in the years that followed. So this this was an issue then. So it definitely feels tone deaf to have included that scene. But, you know, in the late 80s, they were less concerned about being politically correct, especially with that line about Richard Pryor. There's a line where um, Bill Murray see, is envisioning that the waiter is on fire as part of his Christmas oh, yeah. ghost um, hallucinations. And he really is not on fire. And Bill Murray throws water on on him and says, oh, I thought you were Richard Pryor. And, you know, that's that's kind of like a ha-ha, where you're laughing. You're like, that's, that's mean, you know. Yeah. And I actually, again, in some, at least in the LA Times review, they referenced that and how, what a cruel line that was. So Richard Pryor in 1980 was free basing cocaine and had been on like a, a multi-day bender of being high and poured 151 proof rum on himself and set himself on fire and ran through the streets of his LA neighborhood. So that was a, an, a thing. 
Um, and he had second or third degree burns. He was working again by, you know, the next year. And he was in the toy with Richard Donner, who produced or who directed Scrooge. And so this is now 1988. So we have eight years since that incident. But the thing about it is, and I don't want to defend a mean comment because I don't support being mean, but I do think... I remember that there were were jokes being told on a regular basis about Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor had a comedy special where he made fun of himself for that. And there and he even brought up this recurring joke that people used to do where they would light a match on fire and kind of wave it around and say, "What's that? Oh, Richard Pryor running through the streets." So, <laughs> it wasn't nice. It wasn't nice, but I mean, it was it, you know, he himself was leading the charge. I feel like I'm hopeful, I guess, that they wouldn't crack that kind of joke if not thinking that it would be okay with Richard Pryor, that he would laugh at that as well. Yeah. And I know comedians have like a different sense of humor, a much darker sense of humor, and yes. usually okay with that. Yeah. Um, so anything else that you that really caught your eye in the film that made you think, what? I mean, I don't know. The love interest kind of thing was kind of like... Like, I couldn't see that. Like, she's so sweet and he's so mean. Right. Like, it's hard to believe that she's sitting around waiting for him to call, which is yeah. how it appears. Like, she only exists yeah. for him. You almost, I mean, you almost think maybe this is, the story is all a hallucination in Frank's mind, including Claire coming back, right? Mm-hmm. We all have that old love interest who we uh, romanticize and improve over time. This is why people get back together with exes. Over time, you're like, man, he was so great. And then you date him again, and you're like, oh, oh yeah, this is why we broke up. And it feels like Claire is just, you know, that maybe Frank is the one who's in the padded room in the, you know, that we see in the future where, um, where where Alfred Woodard's son is is being kept. And maybe he actually has lost his mind, right? They keep coming back to that, that he's kind of losing it. What if really the movie is that he's lost his mind and this is this is we're just in his hallucination and that's why Claire would come back. I don't know. Just a theory. Because the thing that makes no sense is that not only is Claire as saintly as she can be, even when she watches her lumpy be awful, like Say that he's going to, you know, suggest stapling the antlers onto the mouse's head. Yeah. She's still interested in being with him. And every time he calls, she's there. And she seems willing to forgive him and be with him. I mean, it's one thing to, if she's that big hearted, forgive him, sure. But be with him romantically? Yeah. It's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And what are your other thoughts about it? I mean, it doesn't make sense to me how, like... The like um, hallucinations just happen and then they stop like just ra- like just uh-huh. they're happening and now they're stopped and you're in like a day later or something like that. Right, right. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like I get so lost in that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think you know the idea is the Christmas ghosts are controlling it and then they're like kind of landing him in a future moment in time. It kind of reminded me a little bit of um, oh my gosh, what's that Adam Sandler movie that I love? Click. Yeah. You know, where he fast forwards through his life and all of a sudden he's three years later or, you know, and, and, and big portions of his life have been skipped. So it kind of reminds me of that, of where he just gets landed. Um, my other thought was that there was something that I thought was true, um, that they work into the story. That is the reason that Frank and Claire break up. 
So the network president invites Frank and Claire to dinner when they have plans. It's Christmas Eve, right? And Claire's like, well, of course we can't go to dinner with him, right? But the idea is, is that Frank is working on a show. He's a mascot. He wears a dog costume. He's trying to work his way up. And the network president invites them to dinner. And she's like, we have plans with our friends. It's Christmas Eve. And, of course, we're seeing that the network president's a total lech. His wife's out of town. He's, you know, having the secretary come with him where we know he's going to sleep with her or try to sleep with her. And that's the idea. But the thing about it is, is that Frank's like, no, I've got to go. I've got to go to this dinner. And so, uh, you know, and then um, uh, the ghost of Christmas past is like, you you know, this is, you broke up with Claire over the Frisbee show. (laughs) That's how you lost her. And that is all well and good. But the one thing is in Hollywood that I have learned is that when you are offered an opportunity, you have to take it, even if it's so inconvenient, because if you don't, if you try to reschedule, the opportunity never occurs again. It never, it doesn't even matter. Even if you think I have a good relationship with this person, there will be another chance There's not. (laughs) When you are offered an opportunity, you have to take it or else that's it. I thought it was fair. Yeah. I mean, I think he said it harshly, but I think in his defense, it is fair. Yeah, I I agree. And he, what he was saying is I'm okay. You go to our friend's house. I'm going to go to dinner with the president. Afterwards, I will meet you guys. And I thought, I mean, I guess maybe this makes me makes me sound terrible, but in our reality of L.A. and entertainment, that's you, what you have to do. You have to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's at that point in the game, he's talent. Yeah. I mean, he's he's got a, a, a long road to climb. So, and he's a dog right now. <laughs> that's his chance. Exactly. And obviously, it made a difference. So. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I agree with you. So I love Scrooged. I've always loved Scrooged. I I think there are mean and cynical moments and I typically don't like mean or cynical humor. Um, but I do think too, that it is also indicative of the eighties. So Bobcat Goldthwaite, of course, as we mentioned, plays Elliot Loudermilk and got, you know, he's the one who talked like this and has that weird, I know, right. It's annoying. And then the person who was also, who was up for the role of Christmas, uh, past was Sam Kinison, who is an, uh, a comedian I know you're not aware of because he passed away some time ago. But he was this huge, loud guy that just shouted. And that was his whole act. Carol Kane, who plays Christmas Present, you know, she's like this. And she goes and she's slamming him with uh, toasters and ripping his lip off, which apparently she really did in real life. And they had to halt production while his lip healed. Uh, but that kind of loud comedy really played in the 80s. I find it incredibly annoying. And even Me though, too. and the guy who did get the role of, um, uh, of playing Christmas Pasta, he has an, uh, all, I forget the actor's name because he had an, an, an another identity called Boyce, Buster Poindexter. And, uh, that's, that's always what I think of. <laughs> so I can never remember the actor's real name, but, um. But he also is like, you know, chopping on cigars and obnoxious and talking like this. And that just sort of loud comedy was so present. And I'm, I'm really glad that we've, I feel like we've stepped away from that. At least brought it down a notch a, a little. little bit. Yeah. <laughs> a little. But I still love Scrooge. So uh, I hope, I don't know that it's really quite the family film. It's not really maybe appropriate for younger kids. But I, I think with the teens. Think 15 and, and older. Yeah. It's just a good movie to watch together. Yeah. It's fun. And, you know, put a little love in your heart. Yeah. 
<laughs> All right. Thanks. Have a have happy holidays, and thank you for listening to Eighties Movies: A Guide to What's Wrong with Your Parents. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, our website, eightiesmovieguide.com. Yep. All right. Thanks. <laughs> you see it's getting.